Hello and welcome to the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. This is next in the series of thought-provoking sessions around the question of what is conscious advertising, where we are going to be talking about Beyond Blocklist. I'm your host, Sunu Singh, founder of Creative Salon, and with me, I have Lexi Kirk Connell Kwana, Head of Regulation at Independent Press Regulator Impress, and Chris Kenner, CEO of Brand Advance, the company which connects brands with diverse audiences. Welcome, both of you. Now, um, 2020 has seen the shift in a tone in the conversation brands are having when it comes to ad misplacements. And the con- conversations have evolved from brand safety fears on both YouTube and Facebook, both of which you know about, about whether premium publishers are brand suitable. Because in reality, block lists have led to millions in lost revenue, but have also shut out minority communities from the internet and in the name of brand safety some advertisers are blocking their ads from appearing in content about black lives matter um, coronavirus news lgbt content even women's issues so what this really is an indicator something lexi that you've talked about with me before is an indicator of privileges of the gatekeepers that we probably have my first question to you lexi is there are obviously unintended consequences of block lists harming regulated professionally crafted journalism. I mean, it in itself is a rather blunt tool. Would you agree? Uh, yes, unfortunately. Um, and until we start to see uh, platforms come up with better tools for for better ad placement and better brand alignment with content creators, um, I think we are going to continue to have to suffer this experimentation process where you end up with a, a range of these, as you say, perverse consequences um, where, where, you know, ads end up alongside content they clearly shouldn't or ads don't end up next to the content that they should um, from both a, a advertiser client perspective um, but also from a sustainability perspective. Um, journalists um, are, are struggling just as much as, as many of the long tail content creators to make sure that their content pays and are having to experiment with a range of user pay models because the advertising system unfortunately just doesn't best serve um, independent and diverse uh, journalists and publishers in this day and age. Chris, what about you? Obviously, you've been fighting this this good fight for a long time since you set up your business. But also, you know, talking about advertising and our industry in general, there's a knock-on effect for agencies on how you reach the impressions if they are, say, I don't know, thousands of keywords blocked, you know, everything from sperm whale to to uh, news. Um, I mean, it's an issue that clients need to fix. Uh, but do you think brands have an incentive to do that? I think everybody's got an incentive to do it. To block races, religions or sexual orientations and to lazily call it brand safety. You know, like the amount of times I'm sat there as CEO across a group of agencies, the amount of time that, the you know, the team sat behind me come to me with a block list that describes me or describes one of my kids. I've got two kids. One's mixed race, 15-year-old, as I've told people before. And my daughter, you know, both of them half German, half English. And my daughter's blonde, dead, blue-eyed German. But, you know, there's never words that describe her, but there's words that describe my son all the time, interracial, black. I see words like black man, gay, you know, all these different words that, you know, their dad is gay. Uh, and so it's just a lazy way. And I know uh, Lexi was saying about um, the different tools and stuff. They're there. 
You know, we already have sentiment analysis tools. We don't need to block the word COVID anymore. We can block negative sentiment around COVID, but let ads go next to positive or neutral sentiment around COVID. Let, keyword blocking is antiquated. It's old. It's the old way to do it when we first made tech. And then we, you know, um, we sort of first had digital advertising and then we went, oh, we're sticking ads, we're monetizing stuff we don't want to, which, you know, as part of the Conscious Advertising Network, as a board member, you know, I'm 100% behind making sure that not a single thing is funded that shouldn't be. I don't want people to fund, you know, racism because I experience it. My kid experiences. I don't want people to fund homophobia because, you know, their dads come out for gay. They experience it as kids of a, of a gay dad. I don't really experience homophobia, but maybe that's because I'm quite big. But the, um, but you know, we can't hide behind. Oh, we don't want to do something wrong, so we're just going to block everybody. You know, like that. I cannot think of anything. And then we're going to have the audacity to stick a beautiful black box on our social and tell all black people, or black and brown people in the world, I stand shoulder to shoulder with you. At the same time, hitting send on an email with a block list to our agencies saying, make sure I don't go next to any words that have blacky, black man, urban, interracial, Muslim. Do you, you know, like, how do you consciously do both? stand yeah. by both yeah. yeah you know when the tech is there the infrastructure is there you can go to integral ad science and they have a platform you can go mantis is a platform that reach uses that sentiment analysis um reach plc so it's out there so yeah so sh shall, shall we talk about some of the bigger issues at play here? Because obviously one of the things that we're finding ourselves, and not just because of the pandemic, is this kind of really angry, divisive world that we seem to be living in. I mean, do you think the the advertising in itself has made the internet less open, tolerant, less tolerant, less rational? Um, I'll, I'll start with you, Lexi, because obviously at Impress you are looking not just at the established um, news, um, but but you are looking at what what constitutes news. I mean, what is it that makes content? Yeah, I think on that question of has advertising um, contributed to that. Well, I guess my um, my response to that would be, you know, no more than advertising made traditional mainstream media less open, less tolerant, less rational, um, because because those have always been issues in society. And and do I think that there's something inherent to advertising content that makes it less, you know, that makes society less tolerant? No. Um, but do I think that there are human decision makers that sit behind these processes that mean that on a systemic level, uh, we are dealing with issues of divisiveness and tolerance and prejudice? Absolutely. Um, and I think the key is uh, when it comes to advertising search, you know advertising funding certain types of content um, it, it, it's about you know the competing interests for for those advertisers do they want um, their their ads placed with highly provocative controversial um, content that elicits a strong emotional response or do they want it uh, placed next to um, 
you know, a, a better quality of engagement with that content. And I think it's, I think now, um, it, you know, we're in the ecosystem, the media ecosystem is in as much of a state of flux as it's sort of ever been. Um, the old rules don't apply and there is this growing body uh, this of uh, really diverse, pluralistic, independent content creators in the media space. And from an advertiser's perspective, it's it's really their, their choice um, uh, whether they, they go out and find them. Um, and, and, and if anything, I think, you know, compare it back, you know, compare us, ourselves to sort of 30 years ago when you had six national newspaper brands, you could, you could sit content beside to reach your mass audience. Now, now advertisers can be much more shrewd. There's, there's, there's so many more creators out there. So it's, it's about the willingness to do the research and then, and, and then find the right platform. Indeed. Uh, Chris, I can see that you're nodding furiously. So why don't you jump in? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. That's why I'm nodding. But and I, I think, you know, at the, it's the, the media owner, the media owner, the, the content creator that, you know, they can stir divisiveness. Fox News is one example. You know, I'm just going to call out, you know, there was. Go for it. Uh, uh, a, a, a presenter that had content that's digitally available from Fox News that was inciting people to, you know, to join a group that ended up killing black people, shooting black people on the streets in America. We all know it. We all, you know, it was sort of um, now it's up to advertisers to make them conscious decisions of where they're, what they're going to fund um, and does that align with their values? Now, I, we, I, I personally would, and I advocate for, and I work with a lot of clients globally, making sure now advertisers went to a sort of lazy place to stick their money. I'm going to say, I can't speak anything other than the truth. So here, I'm just going to have to say it as it is in my head. Sticking it in the two main 80% of all spend. It would go to Facebook or it'd go to Google. There is a lot of quality, not just quality, fantastic content out there, a lot. In every country, there is content that you want to be next to, you know. Some might have a voice, and I'm not certainly not against ads, uh, advertising spend going next to a voice, you know. I'm, but I live as a black guy, so, you know, I've lived in the UK. I'm a privileged black guy now. I was born in care, though, so I wasn't privileged. And, I'm, and I, I, I've, I, I, you know, I've gone through being asked where I'm going when I go into a building, even in my own building. I'm the CEO of, in this building, but security has often asked me where I'm going. You know, I'm like, well, I'm going to the company that I founded. Thank you. You know, uh, I go I get in a lift and people move their bags to the other side. So the side I'm stood on, or when I go into Selfridges shopping, shop in the UK, if no one knows, um, you know, as I'm walking around there, they never follow my white partner. They follow me. I live with that. I live with that. You know, I'm sure uh, people on here have had their own things that they've lived with. So I like content and I like to push our clients to to be in safe environments. But also, you know, if you're going to stick a black box, I like you to stick you know, 
keep alive the voices, the smaller publications that represent demographics that look like me, you know, or other demographics that don't look like me, but look like other people that go through hardship or are misunderstood because they're not seen in, as mainstream, you know, we sort of default mainstream to being straight, white and able-bodied, you know, and it's just not, we're, we're just, a, you know, we're all mainstream. It is us and we are them, you know, like it's literally everybody. Um, I think uh, sort of advertisers at the moment as well, a lot of advertisers have been allies. So, but now we need advertisers to be advocates. I say it a lot that people need to move from allyship to advocacy, but actually advertisers can be advocates now, you know, they're not just to it, it, it sort of is a win-win on so many levels one an advertiser's uh, own company can see what the company they work for stands for that they support them people in you know keeping your own house in order and making your own house feel included and you know inclusive and uh, and then allowing for more diversity because we know diversity is good on the bottom line as well but also externally people buying that brand you know they get to see that you really do stand for the values that they do and at the moment in this world where everything got stripped from us literally the world stopped spinning and we had nowhere to go and we couldn't get off you know and we started noticing demographics that we didn't notice before obviously i did but people you know in society where we call people now key workers whereas they were always there you know we we actually spoke about it a little bit early you know black bush driver was always the black bush driver indian lady in the supermarket was always the indian lady in the supermarket it's just it took a global pandemic for people to call them key workers and to clap and to say oh my god i actually see you now these these people the media the contextual environments that these people find themselves in needs to be kept alive it's not google it's not facebook it's the other media that i'm sure lexi represents and you know like and some fantastic journalism but um but there is that balance you know yeah i, I have a quick added question to that for, for you uh, chris uh, very quickly is you know, if you're talking about how the internet is funded um, and, and whether or not it is funded fairly and, and because of the, the um, of likes of Google and Facebook where a lot of power obviously lies, what are the alternatives, um, you would say? Are there any? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Millions. You know, the alternatives to um, Google and Facebook is independent media. The alternatives are the voices and the uh, reporters that you see out on the street that are walking in Black Lives Matter marches with you, you know, that are out reporting in Poland in LGBT free zones, that are lit, you know, our local reporters, maybe it's not at these big, you know, uh, big life-turning moments, but are actually just reporting on what's going on in your local town, local news, local reporters, you know, that just let you know, what, you know, what's going on on the other side of the estate or the other side of the village. Um, there's so much content out there. Actually, you know, I, I don't understand how, how advertising's got 
so la lazy, really. It's the only word I can use. And I know it's, it's a negative word, and I don't mean to you know perpetuate negativity on this but i can't i don't understand how we got to this lazy position where we just say it is easier to just give it to you or you and i'll just fluctuate between the both of you than it is to fund what everybody in an agency including ceos are reading themselves you know i, I as a ceo i read local media i read media about different demographics i read media about new tech startups and see if there's anything i want to invest in you know stuff like that that's what other ceos are doing you know so it's not like they're detached from this media no. but we seem to have just you know a little bit like the election that's going on across the uh, the pond i think you know, the first time round, the reason why there's such a mess is because people just sort of didn't go out and vote. You know, I think people, are, you know, I think uh, advertisers are doing that a little bit with their ad dollars, or at least they were up till recently. They sort of sat back and said, yes, I read that. I engage with that media personally. And I know my consumers engage with that media but I'm still just going to stick it there or there because it's yeah. nice, it's easy, I know. Because everybody yeah. else is... is, is everybody else is. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, that's the fundamental challenge. Um, and, and Lexi, you and I have spoken about it, you know, sitting on the advisory um, board for Impress as well in terms of the funding, really. And mm -hmm. at Impress, that's what you are always trying to sort of look at as to, again, you know, what, what, what does... What does quality journalism even look like? You know that the the what Chris is talking about. I would love to read my local um, news, but there there is dearth of it because I, there are not enough. There isn't enough local news. But then those lone uh, people who are called now influencers. Now, where is that divide? What does you know? Who defines quality, for instance? Yeah, that's a that's a really hard question, and I, I'll just pick up on Chris's term laziness because I think that 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 maybe be the kind of the sum total of the situation we find ourselves in, where historically there were um, a set of national media companies that that had sales teams in them that drove advertising towards them, and we had this this very catalytic shift with the introduction of the internet that all of a sudden got gobbled up by the duopoly of Google and Facebook and all of that media system collapsed. And in those catalytic moments, you can have really, uh, you can have a kind of great renaissance where a bunch of local media emerges, a bunch of independent media emerges, and all the advertisers gravitate towards them because all of a sudden you have these new and wonderful demographics you can plunder as a as a, as an advertiser because of that but but that just isn't the kind of ideal reality we live in now we we live in a reality where the easiest path is to go to the duopoly um and and what that will mean and in, in, inherently is um is is the 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 financial sustainability of these local and you know independent media suffers because um, the advertiser pay, pays model just doesn't work for them. But then you come to the question of well, who is the media? Who gets to decide what content is valuable? What content is going to sit? Um, we would fund in this ideal scenario, and I think that's that's a real challenge. And in my role as a as a regulator of media, I'm I'm constantly having to 
think about and question um, what amounts to quality. Uh, we in at Impress we have a standards code that that says you cannot be inaccurate, you cannot discriminate, you cannot harass people, you cannot invade people's privacy. You need to respect the law and these core principles. But the fact is, is that that's not a uh, a bottom line requirement for being a media operator in the UK and beyond. Um, we we would like to see more publishers um, and content makers and creators align themselves with those values. Um, but it, it, it again, it's it's a bit of an ouroboros where if people are going to fund. Uh, low quality content, content that arouses emotion, that's provocative, that's controversial, that discriminates, that's inaccurate, that flares um, public safety issues um, to the point of hysteria, then then there is that less willingness to create create that positive public interest content and high quality content. So so we need to have a bit of a circuit break in the system where we say, these are the values that we want our media and our content creators and our influencers to um, abide by. And that's where the funding is going to go. And unless you create those incentives, um, the, the, the system uh, doesn't work. So uh, in, in terms of who is, um, you know, who are those newsmakers? Who are those, who are those individuals and organizations um, that we can identify? Who determines that quality? I think there's still a public conversation about that. And we have to build consensus about what those values are. That's something that we do in our work at Impress, but we, it needs to be wider. Um, we need to have yeah, much more public awareness and, and discourse about what quality is, where we're going to, to put our, our eyeballs and, and, and who the advertisers are therefore going to want to fund. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah, Chris, add to this because obviously what what Lexi is talking about is, is indicators of, of both quality and harm. I'm curious about the kind of conversations that you have with your clients, with the brands in terms of being you know comfortable, not about not just about spending in an alternative media, but also where do they think how they are being evaluated against um, uh, the, you know, those, those different uh, media that they're investing in? Yeah, I think one thing that we've had to do over the years, because obviously we are a media network, so, you know, uh, seven to 800 publishers all on one network globally is what Brand Advance is. It took us a long time to find these smaller publishers. The bigger ones are easy. Your Times of India, you know, that gets 300 million unique visitors a month is an easy one to find. But the smaller, you know, and especially intersectionality stuff, the one... I think if we're going to honestly speak about it, the publishers haven't always been their own best friend, you know? And th whereas they sort of, the infighting's a bit strong, but where one publisher that's within the same demographic as another publisher thinks of themselves as rivals, so doesn't want to work together. And so, but they're both too small apart to bother now. Now that media, uh, you know, now that, advertisers have found platforms like Google and Facebook where they can reach tens of or hundreds of millions of people in one go with one lump sum. You know, publishers need to be able to offer something close to that. They've, they've already got an added bonus 
I can give you real media that's not going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be something that goes against the content regulation that you or standards that you want to hold yourself to. You know, we work with companies like Impress or we work with regulatory bodies like Impress, etc. So we're making sure that our content's good. Here is the reason why Brand Advance has done well is because there's 600 publishers. It reaches 1.2 billion people. Now Unilever can say, okay, I'm going to take some of my Facebook money away and I'm going to put it in black and Asian media because now it's a big enough thing for them to do. And I think publishers could do this themselves. You know, Ozone, I suppose, is one group that did that. But there should be more of that, you know, more collaborations of publishers within a certain demographic that keep to a certain standard. And they say, OK, now we're worth talking to. If individually you didn't feel it, now we are. You know, I think that could happen overnight. That could be a sort of overnight you know, blast out, they can certainly tell the world because they are media owners. So they've got an audience, they can shout about it. And I think that would really help. I think secondly is the um, brands want to, brands love patting themselves on the back. <laughs> they, do. Yes, they do. You know, no matter what, no matter how good they are as a brand, you know, let's take, I'm going to use them as an example and I'm just going to give a, a disclaimer. I am biased. They are a big and close client of ours but Unilever you know is changing the world they have all the ad dollars you know more money than God but they are changing things you know uh, a founding partner of GARM you know they've got the uh, unstereotype alliance right through to the different things they're doing to save rainforests in one country, making sure that the whole out of 150,000 employees, half of them are female, and now they're enforcing that on their agencies. Show me your diversity before you get our business. You know, brands like that are, are really changing things, but also they like to talk about the change that they're doing you know uh, we all know we've probably all got them on linkedin no one is better at telling the world how good unilever is <laughs> than unilever but so they should and i think other brands your, your question was you know how to what are brands looking for when they're doing this they you know you can overnight give yourself something to shout about never once has anyone shouted about oh we are doing really well with our advertising on facebook <laughs> not once no once as an you know an advertiser being able to put a press release out about how good they're doing on google actually probably is the opposite they're hiding the fact they're spending you know so it's it's sort of i i came into this industry late i you know as you know i keep saying you know and that's a really bad habit i need to sort that out but i came into this industry late I came from the army. I joined the army when I was 16. I was in the army till I was 26 and then went into media in front of the camera and stuff. So coming in, in my early thirties into advertising, you know, I, there's so much I just, I still don't understand. Not I don't understand as in how it works. I don't understand why, you know, there's a lot of things that are just done because it's the way it's always been. And I know we've been calling, you know, advertisers lazy, but actually, you know, we are given, uh, and I'm, I'm talking more from myself rather than from Lexi's point, but people like me, um, 
And, and you know, and the people in, in my team and the people in the wider industry, we've given such, we are given jobs that are so beautiful and so privileged in that we, we get to influence, true influence. We get to tell people what looks good, what doesn't look good. We can topple governments. We can raise governments. You know, propaganda is advertising. <laughs> you know, just given another word because it's not so nice, but it's advertising. <laughs> it is. You know, so uh, we can do all this. Uh, but with great responsibility comes, uh, well, with great power, sorry, comes great responsibility. And it is our responsibility to be advising these advertisers of where they stick their money. Now, we're calling out the advertisers saying it's lazy. But actually, how many agencies for the last five years of being the agency for that brand has every year said, I still don't think you should be putting your money there. None. Because, but they should, you know, they advise where it's going to be. Our job isn't to spend the money. Our job is to advise where best we're going to spend the money. Yeah. You know, our job yeah. isn't to find the easiest route. Our job is to find the best route. What will give you the consumers you want give you the PR ability you want, and maybe if we can, and this is only just being added to most agencies' rosters, ensure that we reach our society and make the world a better place than the day we got here. The last two have only just happened, you know, like, yeah. let's be honest, pretty yeah. much every brand advance has been around for two and a half years, and the amount of articles I keep reading now where this agency is now a diversity first agency, and that agency, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that black people were always there. So why are you a diversity first agency in 2020? Should advertising as ground zero be diversity first? Like, True. Did, did we just choose that we're going to advertise to black people now or going to advertise to gay people or to people with a disability? Like, isn't, shouldn't we be advertising to everybody that's a possible consumer for product day? Yep. You know, so, so I just wanted to, to add that. I know it's a bit long-winded, so I apologize. Um, well, that's that, that, that's yeah. good because to all, all, all the brands who, who love the word disruption, and we know all the brands do, yeah. listen listen to this great advice that Chris, Chris has just given you for free. Uh, so thanks for that, Chris. I do have one last question for both of you, and this is um, one of those many with many-headed be uh, many-headed bees. And who decides what is safe? Because obviously, you know, where does that responsibility for brand safety lie? You know, with publishers, journalists, agencies, advertisers. But with that, and I'll start with Lexi first, is also who do you think the public is most comfortable with that kind of evaluation or where the judgment actually rests? Because, you know, is is the public comfortable with a, with a regulator like Impress, for instance? I mean, uh, for that matter, brands taking the responsibility or, or even uh, platforms like Facebook and, and um, Google where you know who who should be deciding that like yeah I think, I think that's the sort of million dollar question um of our time and 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 when we talk about that amorphous who the public we you know chris has brought up there are sort of different intersections of the public and and maybe it's not just one decision made by all of us but you know let's think about the different um, you know, groups in society that may be better placed to speak to their experiences as part of that public decision making. So, uh, you know, for example, currently decisions are being made um, about, you know, what content pays uh, by, uh, you know, a, a free market, essentially, um, by developers, technicians, agencies, and and whose inputs into that categorization, you know, that's fairly opaque. 
um, and what those indicators are that they put into those categorizations, that's fairly opaque. Um, so let's open it up. Let's kind of open that Pandora's box and have more transparency about those indicators, those starting points, and particularly on matters that affect the public, particularly on matters that affect vulnerable groups. Let's make sure that they have a seat at the table when we're having these public discussions and, and when that public decision making takes place to ensure that, um, that 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 openness and that transparency is also rewarded with the best feedback, which comes from the people directly affected by these decisions. Um, so, so, I, so, you know, there, there are aspects of this, which I think are about, you know, the bottom line being what's lawful or not. And, you know, some of the practices Chris describes, you know, for me personally, having worked in the law, um, don't sound all that lawful, but because we don't know about them, because we don't have that kind of public conversation about them, um, or, or there's, there's more willingness now, but we, we're only just starting really, um, there's the lawfulness element of that, and then there's the ethical element of that. So going forward, it's not just about, you know, whether or not a decision is lawful, it's about, but is that ethical? Is that the best practice? Is that the best we can do? Um, and those decisions um, absolutely, I think, should be made on, on a public basis. Do I want government and politicians making those decisions? Well, you have to ask yourself, are they the ones best placed to do that? Do I want the free market making those decisions and, and consumers just treated as products in a line? No, but, but, but you know, we, we have to be able to come together and create spaces where we can have, um, where we can, you know, at least open up that conversation, at least be transparent about what's going on. Um, and then after having that, what's probably a complex and difficult, you know, public discussion, then let's start talking about the decision makers um, and, and, the, and the indicators in the long term. Um, because ultimately, uh, you know, I think the situation as it stands, you know, it's it's not sustainable. We may end up in a really perverse arrangement where some parts of the internet are basically user pays and those paywalls to social creative life exist. And then another part is, is just a marketplace, essentially, um, feeding to the lowest common denominators. And I think that's not the type of online digital experience and social experience we want to end up in. Indeed. Chris, last words from you. Yeah, um, I can't say it any better than Lexi said it. I think for me, it, it, it's, uh, as she said, each of the, I think it starts with the wider public. I think they have to have a seat at the table, like Lexi said. Um, do I want politicians making the decision? No but I want them to be a level, a layer after this, the open forum discussion to enforce them decisions. And then, you know, it leads to um, a, an organization like Impress that then is that last layer of, if you don't do it, these are the consequences. These is what we're going to enforce the law, the law on it, you know, because it's a wild west out there. It seems to be like the last frontier of literally the internet is the wild west. You know, everybody doing what they think they can get away with doing. You know, it's a, everybody's on it, but you, you don't want, you wouldn't wish that place on your worst enemy because it's like the worst of the school playground with the worst things in the adult life mixed into one. You know, that, that sort of horrible argument in a pub 
that's in there every day mixed in with the the sort of hidden horribleness of a playground it really is it is every day you know and i've got two teenagers and i i, I worry when they're online i worry when they're outside you know but um i worry more when they're online you know uh, and they're online a lot whether it's through their mobile or, or whatever and it needs to be pleased and then the the, the way it will change is where the ad dollars go. And the only way that the ad dollars are going to shift to the to places where it has deem, been deemed after we've got through who makes them decisions. And I agree, there's an open forum at the beginning. Um, I don't think it's too open all the time because then a decision is never made. It's sort of take, consider everything from every demographic that is affected by this, which is basically the world, you know, take it, take in all of that and then make a considered decision. Maybe push that back out to come to a, a set of regulatory terms and then they're enforced, you know, then it then needs to be that sort of line in the sand. We've all decided this and now we're going to go away and we're going to implement it. And once we implement that, should you fall on the other side or foul off, you know, break them regulations, then this is going to be the consequences. But at the moment, it seems like there's a lot of the first, I don't know if you agree, Lexi, but there's a lot of the first stage. Everybody's having a chat about how bad it is but not actually anybody's actually took it to the stage of, okay, this is how we're going to fix it. There's a lot, I suppose Impress is doing its bit. There's other, you know, conscious advertising network. We're doing our bit, you know, Facebook and Google would argue that they're doing their bit, you know, and, and, and I don't know if there's things like the ozone and stuff like that are, are there for reasons of this, but, but actually it, it needs someone to, or a regulatory body that's okay let's collate all this information there is more i have lost count how many um documents and insights and reports i've read about how bad things are and what's being funded you know even down to recently you know um the iab has ads.txt and sellers.json but actually they found that the wrong ads.txt were on rt and bart bright you know it wasn't actually you know so even these things we've got in place that's meant to stop ad fraud and make is meant to let you know exactly where your ads going even that's being bent and broken and squeezed a little bit and manipulated. So, yeah, I think what I don't know if it's a government thing, neither actually, Lexi, yeah, just because I think then, you know, they're not showing themselves to do so well at some problems they've got already. So, adding another one, maybe this isn't just for government. I think it's, it's bigger than government because no one government owns the internet. You know, yes, the Amer yeah. America might say that they own it because well, it, we, we can add China to that list as well as to who well, owns the ultimate yeah, yeah. Well, If we're honest, wasn't it a guy in Britain that built it? Yes, it, <laughs> it, it was indeed. It, it was indeed, which, which which is why I think the the idea of us having a conversation and us us having some kind of thoughtful lending some thoughtful insights to this this debate uh, as well. I think that's a start. And as you both said, it is quite a journey ahead of us. But to have voices like yours to add to these conversations and indeed to call out 
the bits that need to be called out. I think we all need to be grateful for that. So thank you so much to both my guests, Lexi, Kirk Connell, Kawana from Impress and Christopher Kenner for Brand Advance. Thank you both for this very, very fascinating conversation. This is the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. Thank you for listening. Also, a huge thank you to our friends, the Rattle Collective and the Nerve. Keep tuned in as there's lots more to come. Thank you and bye-bye.